I'm Frederick Gerton, and I'm the filmmaker. I'm Leilani Farha. I'm the advocate. So we are back. And Leilani, how is life? Things are busy. That's what I would say. Super busy. And I'm trying to grow a movement, the shift. And it's taking up a lot of my time and energy. And it's all good. Uh, but it's a lot of work. So you, you're actually doing well, building the shift. Yeah, it's going really well. Last week was a banner week. Uh, we've been doing some concentrated work here in Canada. After the pandemic hit, I started convening with city officials, mayors, city councillors from about 12 cities across the country. And last week, they came together to f- and sort of formalized their group. And they're calling themselves the Right to Home working group, municipal working group, right to home municipal working group. And they issued a call to action, um, committing themselves to ending homelessness and trying to address evictions, but also calling on other orders of government to help them. So you're you're making a difference in your own country. I mean, now for six years, you've been traveling the world, but now you're you're like in your bunker in Ottawa making change, <laughs> making change in your own country. That's cool. I'm trying to. Congratulations. Trying to. Thanks. Yeah. And the film, I've been, I was in a webinar towards Japan. Oh, yeah. But I was, was talking, I was talking about my bananas films. So it's like a long time ago. But also wow. talked about push. And then I was on a webinar with Nepal. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, because the, About push or? It was the World Bicycle Forum. Uh, so it was oh. with my old film, Bike versus Cars. But then they said, they told me the story about the old town of Kathmandu that were suffering exa- exactly the same things that happens in most cities around the world, that they are Absolutely. pushing out, pe- you know, families who have been living there forever and surviving, you know, the small shops and so on. They are now... They're buying it up, buying up, and, and kicking out people in Kathmandu, Nepal, and they wanted to organize a screening of Push. So, oh, great! Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's it's cool, but it's also sad that what we are talking about it's totally global. Now, America, the United States of America, Leilani. Yeah. It's elections. And but the thing with you know when we think about politics and we talk about American politics, it's always about elections. You know, it's candidates, it's ratings, it's uh, budgets, campaign budgets, it's donors, it's you know, it's it's on TV and there is a reporter in front of other reporters broadcasting home to a studio with 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 the, his other colleagues with more shiny makeup on, commenting on the same stories around and around. So politics is like, the perception is like, show. Yeah. How do you see that? You know, is that what you see too? What I feel is, and I've, you know, I live just north up the border, mm. and so I'm, I'm, I'm really having access to what's going on in the States and, and the media, etc. I can barely distinguish when it's an election year from when it's not an election year. To me, it's like constantly about promoting oneself as 
someone to vote for. It's it seems less about governing. Also, from the Swedish or European perspective, there the interest mm. of the of what happens in the U.S. is like a, it's a docudrama. It's it's constantly Absolutely. ongoing, and we know more about the candidate in a small city somewhere than we know about the elections in Germany or in Spain or in Brazil or in many other... Well, Brazil, we have the Bolsonaro. So we, if there's a clown, then we know more. But if it's a normal country with normal you know, conflict of interest, then we don't know nothing. In my way of seeing politics is if we want to change something, if we want to move politics, we need to talk about issues, things that people care about. And that's your job. That's homes. Yeah, yeah. And trying to cut through. I don't know, I would, I don't know how American advocates cut through all of that stuff, all of that shine, as you said, all of the, all those minute details about people rather than issues. I don't know how advocates can cut through that and have their messages heard. Maybe it's easier at the local level. I don't know. So... In this episode of Pushback Talks, because you're listening to Pushback Talks with me and Leilani, and we're going to dive into the state of California, which is kind of a big country. It's, it's like <laughs> it, if it was in Europe, it would be one of the bigger countries. Fifth largest GDP in the world, California, the state of California, or something like that. Yeah. And when there is an election in the US, there is also a lot of smaller referendums connected to them and uh, it's called propositions like small local laws or small or big and there is one called proposition 21 and what is it about Leilani more or less tell me what is proposition 21 it's so interesting from my perspective it's about allowing cities or municipal regions maybe to enact rent control with some parameters, not just any old rent control. I think there's some parameters, but uh, that's about what I know. And now we're going to know more because we have with us from Los Angeles, Rene Moya, who is the campaign director for us to vote, well, for the Californians to vote yes to Proposition 21. Welcome to Pushback Talks, Rene. Hello, thank you so much for having me and good morning. Well, at least good morning here on the West Coast. How? What's cooking? What? What is? What is happening right now? You must be really busy. Yeah. What isn't happening actually? Um, I, I'm going to start by just saying that the the pandemic uh, has really made election season a very weird time here in California. Uh, this is definitely not your average election by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but you know, we still, in fact, because of the pandemic, understand that the issue that we're we're facing. And what Prop 21 is trying to do is an extremely important part of the solution to some of the crisis that, you know, the pandemic has caused. Um, and, you know, I think Leilani uh, described our proposition very well. Um, Prop 21, if, we, if it passes, would allow local governments, so counties and cities, it would allow local governments to enact rent control. Uh, now, what is rent control? Uh, rent control is a policy that allows us to limit rent increases. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't raise the rent at all. It just means that rent can only increase by a certain small percent every year. Um, as an example here in the city of LA, 
we have a form of rent control um, and your rent can only increase by about 3% a year um, normally. Uh, and so what that means is that if you're in a rent controlled apartment, you're extremely lucky, right? You know uh, how much your rent will increase from one year to the next, um, allowing you to plan, allowing you to save money uh, and so on. Uh, unfortunately, though, there are a lot of people in the state of California, even in those uh, cities that have rent control, that don't have uh, those policies, that don't have those protections. And so Prop 21 is for them. Prop 21 would allow uh, our cities and counties to expand rent control to protect those buildings. Um, because right now, um, again, there are limits uh, in terms of what buildings can be covered. So here in LA, as an example, we only have rent control on a building or any building that was built uh, by or before October 1st, 1978. Uh, so if you're, yeah, right, it's very arbitrary. Oh it's my very God. arbitrary. Wow. If you wow. have, if you're living in a building that was built uh, in September of uh, 1978, you have or can have rent control. If you're, uh, if you're living, sorry, in in a, an apartment complex that was built in November 1980, uh, 1978, then you cannot have rent control. And the city of LA can't do anything about it. So that is what we're trying to achieve. Mm. What do you say, Leilani? I, I find it fascinating. I mean, I, one thing that you said, Renee, that I hadn't actually clued into, it's such a, it's actually kind of an obvious point, but the fact that rent control gives tenants a sense of what's coming next. So as you said, they can plan their household finances. I, for some reason, I never really thought about it that way. But of course, it, it offers some form of security in a way, because you know that uh, even if your income isn't going to go up, you will have to pay that, that extra amount, but you know exactly how much that amount is. So it's sort of more controllable. What I've, I mean, I think it's so, these, these um, grandfathering clauses, or I don't know what they're called, but when you, when you say, you know, this is, the, from this point, the, these buildings will be able to have rent control, it seems so limiting. And I think in Prop 21, it's, it, there is also a parameter, isn't there? Um, that's right. I can't remember what it is now. It, that's right. So what's the parameter? Prop 21 says that any building that was built within the last 15 years is excluded from rent control. But if your apartment complex is 15 years old or older, uh, then you can have rent control. It's, it's what we call a rolling deadline. So that at any given point in time, uh, once your building gets to be 15 years old or older, then your city can, you know, impose rent control on that building. So what's the thinking behind that? Right. So like the 15 years, like why? That's a really good question. So, you know, we had an experience here two years ago where uh, tenant advocates across California attempted to do something similar to Prop 21. Uh, and one of the big critiques that we received at the time was that purportedly that rent control uh, stifled the construction of new of new housing, that rent control was bad for construction, bad for for building more homes. Um, I should say that I vigorously contest that the the experience and the history of the development of new homes in California. Um, has almost little or to nothing to do with with the existence of rent control, but you know it was a a, a politically very uh, important thing for the other side, for the opposition to to say that purportedly. I, I can tell you, mm -hmm. 
I can tell you, Renee, from the from the perspective of a country on the other side of the of the, both the the continent and the Atlantic, Sweden, is that we have a big debate about market rents. They called we have a very different and much more protective system of tenants here in Sweden. But of course, the the big money wants to 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 move it and destroy it, and they want something they call market rents. But it's the same. They claim that they could build more homes if they could put any rent, which is, of course, silly because, I mean, if what they call market rents, there is no money. There's no market for those rents, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Certainly, you know, right. it's a, to, to, a market rent should be something that people could pay, basically, that was in line with the salaries that people are making. So the arguments are very much the same, and it's the same kind of the same breed of people who will throw them into your face, of course. But I, I'm actually curious. Leilani, she is an advocate, and she is into this housing, housing, housing. I'm into politics. So are you out knocking doors or sending out leaflets? How do you speak to people? What are or do you have committees around the state or how does it work? So I, I would say all of that would be what would be happening if this were any normal election. But because of COVID-19, we can't really do that. You know, during COVID-19, uh, our volunteer base are uh, a little uncomfortable at the idea of going talking to people door to door. Number one. Number two, people are very wary about opening the door uh, to talk to mm. you about things, right? And so, you know, unlike many parts of, of, of the U.S., California does take seriously COVID-19. They do take seriously the idea that this is a health crisis. And so uh, just doing door-to-door -door knocking in that way is, is not something that's very feasible. Uh, so mm. what we attempted to do early on was to shift a lot of our focus uh, both online but also to do it over the phone. Uh, what we are mostly concentrating on at the moment are making phone calls to voters, texting voters. So we are texting voters directly from the campaign. If you are a volunteer for uh, Prop 21, even if you're in other parts of the U.S. and you want to volunteer, you can do so. Um, we, we can sign you up to our texting platform and text voters to, to let them know what Prop 21 is about, answer any questions that they might have. We are, uh, you know, sending materials out there as well. We have, you know, leafleting. We have these cool little sticky notes that we've been using too to slap onto doors to remind people to vote. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are other things that we have to do that are traditional political things, right? So we have uh, billboards up across LA right now. We have many more billboards that are actually going up in the next two days, I think, um, that will be uh, in Sacramento, San Francisco, San Diego, etc. Um, and then, of course, is the, the, the big one, right? The, the big one is uh, television, broadcast television, cable TV. Um, and although we don't have as much money as the other side, we are uh, attempting to compete on that platform as well. So that that is kind mm. of the, the full spectrum of it politically. I want to say one thing, though, Frederick, about the politics of it so that your listeners can understand how bizarre California politics are. Um, you know, ballot propositions... Uh, are something that you don't hear about in many parts of the world. A ballot proposition is like a referendum. It's a direct uh, vote by the people on laws that are proposed by other people, right? That's the principle of, the, of, of, it, uh, of it's it in, cool. in a nutshell. Yeah, it's totally cool. The problem, cool. of course, is though that in a state with 40 million people and as big as California, putting a ballot proposition on the ballot is extremely difficult and costly. 
And so in, in reality, unless you are, uh, you know, you have the, the support of an organization that's able to fund the collection of signatures necessary, uh, that is a, a bit of a problem. So you have to be able to collect 5% of uh, the number of, of votes that were cast in the previous uh, gubernatorial election. So however many people voted for governor in the last election, you get 5% right. of that and you have to get signatures for all of them. So one, that's a lot of wow. people. So what's your number uh, so, for Prop right, 21? For, I think for Prop 21 this year, I think it was in the 600,000 person range, if I'm not mistaken. Um, wow, so quite you, a bit you of had to go out and collect 600,000 names. We actually got a million names total, which is fantastic. Oh my God. Mm. Wow, that's really cool. Applause, applause. Wow. So we hear sometimes that, that, that the Americans don't care, but people actually do. Well, they care. Well, they care when it's an issue that matters to them, right? Uh, and then the second thing, though, that I have to say about the political context is that, you know, unlike European countries, you know, I had the, the good fortune to live in, in Europe for a number of years. Uh, unlike in many European countries where you have limits to how much money you can spend um, for broadcast TV commercials and uh, and sometimes, of course, the state will provide money, uh, money here. Funding for these campaigns is completely private, entirely private. Which sounds great in principle. It means that people can help their cause. In reality, what it means and looks like is giant corporations are able to spend significant, a significant amount of money to be able to get their way. Is there any, <laughs> is there any part of the opposition that are well known to us if, you, if people who have seen push the film? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so one of uh, the biggest bad guys that we have right now is uh, the Blackstone Group which is uh, oh, a Blackstone. Yeah, I've never heard of them before. Uh, they're one of the biggest <laughs> private equity firms, obviously, <laughs> no. in the world. Uh, they are the biggest landlord in America. Uh, and so Blackstone uh, have once again been up to their dirty tricks and started plowing millions of dollars into Prop 21. The significant thing about what they're doing this time compared to what they did two years ago, I should say, is uh, interesting. Uh, instead of donating their money directly uh, against us, against Prop 21, they have been putting their money, parking their money into a, a, a thing that is called a political action committee. They've been putting money into essentially a, a, um, a way of hiding their money, right? It's a committee that they put their money into. And then that committee shifts money into the opposition to Prop 21. Which means that their numbers are not visible any longer. That's right. That's absolutely right. So yeah. Blackstone is able to hide and say, we're not donating to anyone. When at, in reality, they are uh, uh, becoming a significant proportion of the amount of money that's being donated against us. Because that's what I know about the U.S., that you actually in some ways have more transparency in the donating to, to political campaigns. But of course, if you donate money to a think tank and then the think tank puts money into the campaign, of course, then nobody will see it. So that's that's how a lot of people you know, our big big entities try to to do it to hide their don donations. And even if you don't hide Scary, it, scary, Leilani. Uh, even if you even yeah. if you don't hide it, just to, on this point, I mean, I really want to convey to you folks just how big these elections are in the state of California alone. The uh, on this year, there are a number of ballot propositions. We're not the only one on the ballot, although we're one of the big ones. Mm -hmm. um, in total, over half a billion dollars have been donated to these campaigns. That is, a, mm. I mean, it's it's not something that you see anywhere near 
uh, uh, this in any other part of the world, in any other country in the world. In fact, the ballot propositions in the state of California tend to be normally the second most important or expensive financial election elections, basically, any given cycle. So more money is spent, for example, in a ballot proposition than in any other race besides the presidential election uh, this year. Uh, and one uh, one of the biggest this year, of course, is is Prop 21. Uh, there are other a couple uh, uh, infamous propositions right now. Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash here in the U.S., uh, for example, have plowed $180 million to try to pass a law to remove rights from gig workers. And so, again, these ballot propositions are How gigantic. How sharing economy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we share, we care. Right. We sh- but share we don't about... want any workers' rights. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's okay. Uh, so... <clears throat> Do we like them, Leilani? Wow. One of the things, uh, Renee, I I think you may know this, but uh, when I was UN Special Rapporteur, I filed a couple of legal letters, we call them communications, about the issue of the financialization of housing. And I I filed one um, directly to Blackstone, as well as to the US government. And um, one of the arguments I made, which isn't made that often in human rights circles, is that the undue political influence of actors like Blackstone is undermining the right to housing. So I was I was relating it to the previous proposition mm-hmm. was at ten, um, where it was similar proposition and saying that the plowing of millions and millions of dollars by Blackstone into the no vote on a proposition that would actually lead to better protections for tenants is in fact undermining the human right to housing. And I actually really love that argument. And it's, I think, something that we need to, we need to be um, talking about more. I'm super happy for this pushback talks because we get to talk about it. Um, but this un- the, the influence is unbelievable. And, you know, one of the things I've been looking at with respect to Blackstone and, and other private equities and asset management firms, et cetera, all of them, is where are they putting their money? Because where they put their money is suggestive of something. So the fact that they're plowing money into a no vote on Prop 21 suggests that rent control actually would protect tenants and would curb profits. That's absolutely right. right. And in fact, you know, this year, as an example, um, we were told that a number of ballot propositions would be more expensive than ours. But already we've had $44 million donated to the opposition to the Prop 21 campaign. Uh, We know that they will probably likely spend at least, well, something like twice as much money uh, than what they already have. Um, They have, as I constantly tell people, ungodly sums of money. And really what they're trying to do to people is they're trying to confuse them. It's a a, a campaign of confusion. uh, tactics mm. and and so whenever folks ask me why does rent control matter does it really help i ask them to to look at or or to to you know believe their lying eyes and say look if if rent control didn't matter you wouldn't have some of the largest corporations on the planet donating so much money to stop it you wouldn't have uh these uh big associations uh treating our ballot proposition as an existential threat to their to their uh, business model. And so it is, you know, Blackstone in particular, you know, to, to really put an emphasis on this, Blackstone made a bet on the housing market in California like it did across the world. You know, I know, you know, I know about the fa- famous or infamous examples of their work in, in 
in Spain and in other parts of the of, of the world. And and so what's interesting about what Blackstone did here in California was that they went they they made a bet on the single family home market, right? The detached single family home market um, in California. Why did they do that? They did that specifically because state law in California makes it illegal for a city or county to expand rent control to protect single family homes. Uh, that's a very particular quirk in, in the California law. And the reason why th that law um, did that was because of the thinking was that the, the vast majority of single family homes in California, you know, the California dream is to buy yourself a single family home. The reason why they did that was because, you know, the vast majority of those homes were, were owned by people to live in. Right. Mm. Uh, so if you were a homeowner, you tended to have an, a, a single family home and not a, a condominium. The, the trouble is that since 2008 and the, the, the economic crash, um, what ended up happening was that, you know, hundreds of thousands of single family homes were bought by investors, by, by, by private equity firms and the like and LLCs and corporations and then flipped and became rentals. What that did is it did two things at the same time. It squeezed the, the single family home market so that the price of, of homes, you know, after the, the financial crisis, they crashed and then immediately rebounded because of this. So homes are very expensive in California. But at the same time, because of these notorious actors like Blackstone stepping into the market, they started to make rents uh, all the more dear and difficult to find. And so it is having a twin effect of taking away the, the, the California dream of home ownership on the one hand, away from you know millions of people, and at the same time making it impossibly difficult to rent in California. Wow, Rene, you're fighting a monster. I mean, I think we are all fighting a monster. And it's, it's, and it's a global machine. It's a global machine that, that a lot of our own pension funds are buying into or, and playing a part in. So, and I think we talk about the campaign money and, you know, and you can, and I guess many listeners out there will feel, oh shit, we can't do anything. They're too strong. I mean, that's like, it's very easy to land in this emotional emotion that, okay, let's forget about everything and just get drunk, you know? Uh, right. But, <laughs> but I think, I think the, the, the way we can fight is to, to stay focused. We actually had one episode earlier on we called Shift the Focus and, you know, Shoot the Messenger. Many people have doing the mistake to enter into this nitty-gritty, stupid commenting on Trump's latest tweets and so on. It's been, been ongoing for a long time. We should talk about our issues and because a lot of people care. And, and I'm, so, I'm, so I'm really happy that now Push is out released also in, in California. We actually work with several theaters in, you know, in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, and other cities around California. So people can watch the film and they can organize their own home parties. And you can also do it with your, your movement if you want to. You can organize parties to, to show the film and talk about these issues, I think, because that's a, that's a big step. Uh, and of course, also then involve progressive politicians and architects and because this is the issue is so big, there's so many people under stress, so it's it's actually it's it's not a little minority of homeless people. It's actually this is this is you know I I know people who make quite good money, 
they are still under an extreme stress. I mean, we were in, we were in San Francisco. Remember, uh, Leilani, we were sitting on a cafe talking to two nurses. Yes. They were actually from originally from Ethiopia, so they were yes. just been there for. They paid four thousand six hundred dollars a month for a two bedroom. <laughs> four thousand six hundred dollars a month for a two bedroom. I mean, so you have to make. You have to make so much money to be able to be able. I mean, I could never pay it. You know, I, I mean, I, I make less than that in a month. You know, I, I would be impossible. So it's yeah. so I mean, who can who can do it? Mm. Of course, the owners of Uber can do it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Well, and that's that becomes the question mm. who, you know, I've asked it in. I ask it in the film push, but I ask it almost every day. Who are cities for? Who's going to be left to be able to live in cities? And one of the things I love about hearing you talk, Renee, about the Prop 21 and all the forces against uh, what you're working for is it gives a, a very concrete example, another one of this global phenomenon that Frederick just talked about. And my sense when I got involved in this whole area, I mean, like I felt, who am I just this one woman in Ottawa, Canada, like, who am I to take on these forces, even with this title, this grand title I had of UN Special Rapporteur, I felt um, the only way we will defeat these guys, and most of them are guys, the only way we'll defeat them is if we create a global movement of those of us who know that this isn't right, that what they're doing does violate human rights, that it does impugn human dignity, because people need a decent place to live. And that has to be in cities. So, you know, I, I, I take some heart in hearing you, even though your struggle is a big one, and it's uphill. Um, I do, I take heart because it's like, oh, yeah, here, we're in it together, aren't we? <laughs> we're doing this, you know, in parallel. Absolutely. That's cool. Renee, we are soon going to round up. But, but is there any pulse? Do you know where, where you're standing right now? And, and, and one more question, what, what will it take for you to right. win? Like what? What do you need? Money. Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to be very frank. It, it'll. It's a, <laughs> it's a money. You know, I, I just wanted to say a couple of things. Uh, you know, on this. You know, you folks were, were counting or recounting the story of, of those uh, nurses in San Francisco, and you know, there was a time 20 years ago where San Francisco was, um, you know, sui uh, uh, generous, right? That was. It was a its own sort of unique example of a housing crisis, right? The, the problem, of course, is that. Uh, San Francisco is no longer unique in the state of California. The problem is that now mm. cities that used to be affordable are becoming deeply unaffordable, right? And so this is why um, we are able to have this conversation. I think people now recognize that this is hurting a lot of people, even in the middle class, right? Um, in terms of, of, you know, what we need to win, look, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require money. And the other side has a lot of it, and we don't. Um, the last public poll that was released showed us being neck and neck with the opposition. Um, our own internal polling is, is, is better than that. That's all I can say, but it is better than that. Uh, and so we know that we have a, a, a chance at winning this thing, right? But we're, we're, but is it a certain number? Like, is it a certain number of cities that have to vote in favor of it? Or is it just single, like, that's right. a majority? It's just a popular vote. It has to be 50% plus one vote. Okay. Uh, and you will win the thing. 
Okay. Um, but again, this is a big state. This is a huge state, both geographically. There are 40 million people. Uh, 21 million uh, uh, people are registered to vote. Um, and we expect that this is going to be the biggest electorate uh, in many years. Unsurprisingly, uh, Donald Trump mm -hmm. is one of the main drivers for why people are going to are going to vote this year. Um, and, you know, it, it should also be, by the way, uh, connected that the No on 21 campaign, um, a lot of the biggest donors to the No on 21 campaign are also some of the biggest donors to the Donald Trump campaign at the national level. And the No on 21 campaign has also given already $1.2 million to the California Republican Party. Um, and so, you know, mm. the, the battle lines are very clearly drawn. All of these things matter. California is normally... A, a it's a democratic vote state, isn't it? Well, yes, but I, you know, I want to say one thing about <laughs> that. It is, it is a democratic state, but we should be very clear. Uh, the, the state of California has a super majority of Democrats in the legislature. Okay. That means that they, they control enough. They have enough votes in the legislature to override vetoes. They can pass whatever laws that they wanted basically. Right. And yet, and yet, Getting renter protections out of the California legislature has been uh, so difficult. Last year, they passed the first significant uh, renter protection bill, but even that had to be watered down to oblivion for it to even make it out of the legislature. Um, why? That's because the, the real estate industry in the state of California, but like in all of the United States, is one of the big four lobbies. And I think that that's where I really, the point I want to end with here, at least on my end, is, is this. Mm. We're not going to give up on the fight because we know that this is existential. Rent control is not profitable to the people who are donating money to our campaign, to the people working on the campaign. Rent control is just the right thing to do, right? But so we're not doing mm. that. We're going to continue to do this until we win the damn thing because we have no choice. But on the other side, though, we do have to recognize that the, the that power of that money is is very difficult to dislodge, right? And I want to really kind of emphasize something uh, for American listeners in particular, but for anyone really thinking about these issues. In the same way that we have villainized uh, big oil for destroying our environment and big pharma for uh, taking away the universal right to healthcare. Uh, and for for allowing people basically to die without that health care, we need to talk about and take seriously the power of big real estate in making our housing crisis, not just in the U.S., but in every other city in the world, especially in the developed world, uh, far, far worse. I lived in London for many years. I, I know that what we are experiencing in L.A. is not new. I also know that homelessness is becoming an, a real issue in a place that didn't used to have it. Uh, this is for the same uh, issue, that ultimately we are treating housing as a commodity and we're not treating it as a human right uh, that is uh, worth um, you know, trying to protect and extend to other people. And so for that reason, I'd say again, we have to do something about uh, big real estate and recognize that they are uh, one of the biggest and most notorious lobbies preventing real progress. All over the world, Rene. Absolutely. All over the world. Is there a web page people can go to, to support Absolutely. you? I was just going to say, remind people that Donald Trump is the literally the world's most infamous landlord and developer. So that doesn't, uh, we should remember that. Um, yes, you can absolutely visit our website, yeson21ca.org. Uh, again, that's yeson21ca.org. We will also put this Amazing. in the blurb under the programs if you go to 
to wherever you you mm-hmm. listen, listen to this show. Frederick, I just want to say, can I just add one thing? And I, what you just said, Renee, was very powerful. And obviously, I'm with you 100%, uh, more than 100%. But I, w- I just want to reflect for one second. I, you know, I've been up and down California. And, um, you know, I've been to San Francisco, I've been to the Bay Area, I've been to Oakland, I've been to LA, Skid Row, I've been down to San Diego. And, you know, Frederick and I were reflecting on this, and we've reflected on it many times when we were in San Francisco together for the opening of Push at the Castro, that, I mean, we're, we're standing in the richest country in the world, and what we're seeing is conditions that are subhuman and no you can just see there's no social safety net for anyone who it might be part of a vulnerable population for low-income people and some of the things I've seen like just heartbreaking the, the people I've spoken to heartbreaking stories you know a woman working in a in a doctor's office who um, her building was bought by big finance her rent was raised. She was making ends meet before this happened. Suddenly, she can't pay her rent. She self-evicts because she doesn't want a black mark on her name. She she couch surfs with family for a while, but outstays her welcome. And where do I meet her? Under a bridge in Oakland. You know, it's like so tragic. The single mom with three kids living in a car, African-American, you know, so I really, I just want to say what you're doing is so important. I think it will positively, if it goes through, it will positively affect the lives of so many people. So, so go, much. go, go. Go, go, go. <laughs> and, and, and it's always worth fighting for, for the for protection of tenants. We should yes. not only have protection of the market, which has been like exactly. a holy thing for a long time. Thank you very much, Renee. And we will, we will, we will yeah. let keep us updated because we really want to keep telling about this story, your your amazing work. What day is the final day? Oh tomorrow? gosh, uh, November third, uh, thirty five days from now. Uh, November third is election day. Thank you very much, Renee. And uh, we are on. We are. We are in this Absolutely. together. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much, folks, and have a Thanks, great day. Thanks, Renee. Yeah. Yeah. Leilani, wow. This was, wow, it's, it's very emotional. Yeah. Well, my heart has been broken a million times in California. I have to tell you that. I just. Yeah. I, I, I had a friend who was living, I always visited in, in Venice Beach. He was living, he was living in a very funky building, mostly students and other people hanging out there. And it was always fun. And it was really people with no money who was living there. And then apartment after apartment went away to whom? To Airbnb, uh, and in the end, he actually owned, I think, or he had a right. He had a good contract on his, but he gave up because the environment totally changed. It yeah. was no more fun to live there, you know. Mm. So it's and so the, the the whole part of town totally changed. Changed, yeah, yeah. yeah. Leilani, Rene talked yes. about money. I was just going to say, I think we need some money, Frederick. <laughs> <laughs> we are actually, we have, you can be our patron. You can be our friend. And we are already now have like 
two-figure supporters, <laughs> meaning 11. <laughs> now, now, we have we had people coming in supporting the show with like a $5 a month or so on. And, and please join us. We need more friends because at, up to this moment, we have no money at all doing this. We're only doing this because we are crazy and passionate and and we don't make any money anyway so why don't do it you know exactly. uh, yeah got to keep the conversation going yeah we can't drink money wine no all money. the time i mean we can soon drink wine but but um, we first have you, to close you show. sooner than me we have to close this okay. show first anyway so yeah. go to patreon.com look for pushback talks support the show uh, and as always um, tell your friends uh, spread it to your colleagues university at your work you know other other people who tr actually i mean there is a lot of amazing podcasts out there about crimes that would commit is like hundreds of years ago or 10 years ago or two years people are so much into crime this is also a crime podcast but it's it's a different crime it's it's the crime that's actually affecting much many more of us so uh, it's also a scary thing, mm. and and it's also fun because Leilani is funny, you know. <laughs> I'm, I don't know I'm, how funny I am. No, not that funny. Anyway, no. Now we tried. We tried to be funny. I didn't work. Sorry, Leilani. <laughs> we should <laughs> we should just come back uh, next mm. week and, and try again. Yeah, let's try again. Let's try again. Uh, take care and and walk the dog a lot. I will. Thanks, Frederick. <laughs> See you. Bye. Bye.